Your organization is alive. You're not a machine, you're a living system. I'm Paul Miller and welcome to The Nature of Work, where we explore the people, practices and organizations who are bringing a new story of work to life. This podcast is hosted by myself and Shimreet James and is based on the book Nature of Work, A New Story of Work for a Living Age, written by myself and Shimreet Jains, and is produced by the Digital Workplace Group. For more information about the Nature of Work book, visit natureofwork.com. And if you'd like to bring this new story of work alive in your company, visit digitalworkplacegroup.com. Silicon Valley is a state of mind. It's not a land anymore. So suddenly, like Silicon Valley was just getting overwhelmed with the number of people that wanted to flock or or that these companies were just like getting and, and relocating to Silicon Valley. Now Silicon, the, the good philosophy of Silicon Valley can be more distributed everywhere. And hopefully the city can find a way to like transform into something that is more sustainable and more accessible to everyone. Nelly Haya is the head of workplace transformation for Verge Sense. She's a future of work advocate, a thought leader, podcast host, and community builder. And so she's kind of been in Silicon Valley for quite a while. I suppose things that kind of um, struck me was this idea that her, the Silicon Valley is 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 a sort of state of mind in a way. So, Shim, what do you think? Yes, I think the idea of Silicon Valley being a state of mind and trying to elevate it above the physical place that has emerged as a center of innovation um, was really inspiring. Particularly as we're you know everyone's talking about hybrid working at the moment and the role of the office um, or habitats as we refer to it in the book. Um, I think one of the things that really struck me, though, was, you know, we started off talking about Barcelona, which is where she is at the moment, and how um, she's been inspired by the architecture there and some of the religious buildings that she's seeing and how they've been designed as places of magnificence and emotion and trying to take that thinking and and apply it to the workplace. It reminded me a little bit of your experience of walking in the forest and going, well, how is were an organization different to a yeah. forest it feels like she's gone into those those beautiful places and gone well how is an office different to this mm. which is such a great way of you know it's why i think thinking broadly and about lots of different things is, is always good because it helps with your creativity and to see things differently and that idea of you know people can pray from anywhere but they're still drawn to those physical places really to to think about work in that way we can work from anywhere but why would we be drawn to particular places Mm. is a really useful way of thinking about this next phase of of where work happens yeah and i think a new thing that's that's kind of emerging so you know the whole kind of i mean both cliche and truth was that covid accelerated things that were already happening which is sort of true, but when you accelerate a whole range of different things around mobility, agility, remote working, digital technologies, um, and so on, and you accelerate them all, all at the same time, you, you don't just get more of the same going faster. You actually get something quite, quite new. But I think the new factor that's, that's coming into 
at least developed economies, is this shortage of people to do the work that's available and needed. And this and that this then shifts the, if you like, the balance of power. And we had a session around nature of power recently, which was interesting. It shifts the balance of power. And I think there's a real going to be a real need for employers to create places of almost like compelling value, beauty, purpose for people to want to work in. And this can be something almost as small scale as a, a particular shop or a cafe or a pub or a restaurant. Um, I mean, you know, you've got to turn truck driving now into the go-to occupation or there won't be people to, you know, transport things. And in order to at least kind of live the way somewhat that we do at the moment, for better or for worse, you know, you need people to be able to transport things. So I, I do feel like there's a real opportunity for for a, 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 a even more transformation in the world of work. I think there's a, a real need to treat everybody who works and also those people who can't work for whatever reason with dignity mm. and with respect. And the relationship between that and the workplace, you know, we're seeing that the discussion about hybrid working in the workplace is so often about offices mm. and the people who work in offices. And, you know, one of the big things that we spoke about with Nelly is that's not the entire workforce. That's a proportion of the workforce. So to start to see those places being brought into the conversation will be um, hugely important. Yeah. You, by the way, you, you weren't being in the in the conversation a little bit rude about lawyers were you <laughs> I, was, I, couldn't, uh, I couldn't tell from what you said whether you were uh, yes I have I have many lawyers in my family I, I, still I, work did, in a law firm. I didn't um, know that did you did yes. you want to go into the law I did not oh, right. <laughs> um, okay. it's working with lawyers and in a law firm was a an interesting experience I think uh, it's it's back to the idea of kind of where does power sit and within an organisation and what's the role of the office and, mm. and particular ways of working. Um, God, law- but yeah. lawyers love offices, don't they? They do. I feel like I'm giving lawyers a bad rap now. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm egging you on, aren't you? The only reason, you are, you the are. Only reason is I studied law at university and then disliked it so much I never went into oh, it. But I've got great, great respect for lawyers. And, and, yes, I do as yeah. well. I did it at GCSE and it was my worst grade. So maybe I have a a chip on my shoulder about it. Yeah. So I I think there's some really interesting material in here about the new language around what we used to call offices. My feeling is that offices are essentially are now extinct, that just some of them don't quite know it yet. And actually this idea of, it's not just rebadging, you know, Dropbox calling things studios, warehouses. Um, think about workshops or or pools, co spaces. Um, I I think this playing with language, as we say in the book, does affect reality. So, should we get on to the conversation with Nelly Shim? Yes, yes, yes. So, so where I want to start, Nelly, is. So you're in Barcelona. Now, Barcelona is famous for the 
Anton Gaudi architecture. I mean, there are lots of things in Barcelona apart from Gaudi architecture. Sometimes it feels like that's the only thing that that is there, but but it, it is incredible. It's and and you posted this little thing about the fact that um, the architecture is so inspiring, and you put on something that really stayed with me. You said home is where one feels safe and can be with oneself with no judgment or bias. I love that, with no judgment or bias, where you feel part of a family. And then you you talked, I guess, inspired by Barcelona, that churches or religious places are are where we've traditionally gone for meaning. Um, I think a lot of people go to gyms, yoga studios, um, theatres as well, for, you know, those kind of things now and for community. And then you said... Hashtag office to to be decided. I what's the purpose of an office? So, if Gaudi was designing an office that would be the equivalent of somewhere that you go to for community and meaning, inspired by Barcelona, what kind of comes into your mind? And and is there anybody who you feel has even come kind of close to that level of? Uh, I don't know. Uh, beauty, I guess. Yeah, I think what's striking you is with Gaudi's architecture is it's majestic. Even home feels grandiose, um, and somehow that that um, calls out strong feeling and strong emotions. And I think that this is what I wanted to call out in the post is that Gaudi was famous for taking maybe common spaces, which is home, which is maybe the church or the temple, and making it to a level where your emotion also have to rise to that level of of beauty. You use the word beauty, but beauty comes with inspiration, aspiration, purpose, meaning, uh, love, and um, and and I think everybody could pray everywhere, but yet we're not putting into question the importance or value of having those majestic majestic temples. And somehow the office hasn't been able to encore its role the same way that our temples or homes have. Home can be anywhere when you travel with Airbnb or praying, you can pray everywhere, but somehow we still feel drawn to those temples to pray as a community or to listen to an inspiring um, priest or religious masters. Um, I think we're looking for that same sweet spot for the office. Yeah, we can work anywhere, but what the office could should be so when I go I'm feeling the strong emotion of like feeling proud of my work knowing that I'm not wasting my life working like it's not useless I'm doing something very important for the society for the planet um I'm I'm proud of like doing it with the community of other thought leaders or peers uh, and I get to celebrate with them. I think that this is what the office is looking for. Like what in the grandiose level of what an office can be, let's, can we have a Gaudi mm. thinking about it and designing it for us? Interesting enough, what comes to mind, which isn't really so much about the beauty of somewhere, but this idea of meaning and community. And I know there's quite a few 
buildings and and halls and community halls and mosques and different places that have been repurposed in the last 18 months to not in the last 18 months in the last six months to give out vaccines to people and and to provide support to people and 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 what i've noticed having been in one of those is that there's a there's a real atmosphere of community purpose meaning they're not beautiful places but what's happening inside it is beautiful and I, and and i also kind of think do you think that you know if i think of the most inverted commas beautiful uh uh offices i've been to i think of people like cisco and microsoft's headquarters in redmond and 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 is it the case that you know it it just needs to be it's only the preserve of the most wealthy organizations who are prepared to lavish that amount of resource and i'm sort of trying to contrast a community hall providing services to to a community and and you know apple's new headquarters that looks like something off you know star trek it's a very it's a very interesting point because if we believe that the office needs to be trendy not in the sense that it needs to be always up to the last the latest fashion, but it needs to be of the time of its inhabitants. And we can look, we can just oppose what is happening in the hospitality industry or the retail industry. Somehow the smaller independent brands or smaller independent restaurants or stores are always a lot more um, trend. They, They know what is off the street. They know who are the people and the bigger brands are losing touch with them. So if you asked a millennial, a Gen Z to come to Barcelona, would they go to a Starbucks or would they go to like a local independent coffee shop? They will all choose, pick the second one. So somehow with the office, I think it's the same. I think the big brands who were designing those offices that look kind of the same everywhere, um, they were not as appealing or attractive than maybe one HQ of a smaller company who was like always revamping, always renovating, always come had coming up with events and community activities because they were more in touch with their population. And I think I hope that the office is going actually going to like adopt this latest trend of being more localized and also being more of street. I mean, like more accessible. To, to everyone because accessibility is also something that we've been failing a little bit in this idea that it was very generic. It was also appealing to a few, like one or two or three types of people. It was not inclusive to a larger audience. Um, this is what we're hoping the office can become, more accessible to everyone. That's so true. And I think there's something that you said at the, the start, Nelly, that really resonated with me as well. The idea of when we go into those shared communal spaces, um, we were talking about, you know, the churches and the temples and the, the religious spaces of Barcelona. But what also came to mind for me was places like museums, the libraries that we have. Paul, you mentioned the idea of town uh, community halls. I know that the post office where you live has become a really important physical space for your community, Paul, and how we feel when we enter. I can't believe you mentioned the post office. That's (laughs) wonderful. They are going to be... they are going to be buzzing about that, believe me. Burford Post Office is an essential place, a physical place for that community. Um, but I think the reason I brought it up was 
they how do you mention the word majestic and beauty and emotion Nelly and how you feel in those places really taps into what we need from them and how whether we feel we belong and when we think about offices and some of the ones that you've just mentioned they're not necessarily designed to help us feel that we belong and to raise that emotion in us they've even the the kind of beautiful ones that we've seen in Silicon Valley are kind of all done for productivity and trying to make sure that we can be as productive as, as possible when in those spaces, even if they're looking to be fun and all the rest, it's all about what can we produce as a result of being in those spaces. And we know that that's a very industrialized approach to the workplace, that factories were designed in the same way. So or could we look at Silicon Valley potentially in those offices, those big offices that have been designed beautifully as modern day factories, purely designed for productivity? And what does what comes next, really, I guess, for those places in order to help us feel like we belong and that we feel the emotion of being in that space and connected into it? Yeah. There's, yeah, there's a lot of material for us to like, ponder or digest but I think this is exactly why the past was just like the, the, the really the scratching the surface of the thought behind it because somehow I was looking at the church and I was like oh so does it mean that I pray harder when I come here or or do I pray at home or individually but I come when I come to pray with the community it's it's a different it's a different experience and i was trying to relate it to the work so i think we've all somehow tested what it is to work individually at home so will i go to the office to work with others will i go to do a different um to get a different nourishment that will then improve my work and that nourishment could be disconnecting could be socializing could be brainstorming could be either creating or finding inspiration and that will nourish the individual work that I do at home. So that's really where my, if I go deeper into the thought, this is where I'm going. Like praying can happen anywhere. Working can happen anywhere. What differences is there when I do it by myself and in a, in a random place and, and the difference when I'm doing it with, with others in a space that has been designed for it. Yes, exactly. I think that's it. It's that idea of you can pray from anywhere, but you can always, people are still drawn into those physical places. I think it's the same with, for example, a museum. So many museums are now putting their collections online, which is fantastic for accessibility, for example. Lots of theatres are doing the same for people who can't physically go into those spaces. It's inclusive. At the same time, you still have people being drawn to the physical museum, to the physical library, the physical theatre. Um, I know I miss going into the British Library, for example, and how I feel when I'm in that space means I work very differently to when I'm at home. So I, that way of framing it, I think, is, is really useful and interesting. And one of the things that we talk about in the Nature of Work book is the idea of habitats as a new way of thinking about physical place and digital place where we go to work to start to move it away from how we've historically thought about those places 
And I'd just be interested in hearing what does habitat mean for you when we start to think about where we're working from and how we're working? I think first I love the word habitat and the way you used it to describe the ecosystem or very much the environment in which the ecosystem can thrive. When I think about a habitat, it is also, for me, I I have this vision of both closed and open. Like you need to like separate one habitat from another, but within this habitat, it's all open to different species, to different seeds, to different activities, and it's all working organically together to continue nourishing that habitat. So that's very much what I think about when I think about this habitat. Um, And related to the workplace, I think I go back to this idea that even in the most amazing workplaces we're visiting before COVID, somehow it was not the the emotions of, of good work that was being called like you could you could feel uh, impressed by the design you could feel very lucky to be there but it was not related to work like somehow when we go to a temple we know it's about praying and when we go to home we know it's about like feeling homey feeling safe i think at work we were kind of like we missed the point like we wanted to to go far away from those manufacturing plants where it was very much related to work. And we went to like designing Disneyland's where you kind of go inside and you forget it's about work. Like everybody, everything is to make you forget it's about work. I think we're missing the point. Actually, we should be very proud of the work that we're doing. And I think the Gen Z even more so as you called out in the book is very, very sensitive and acute about the impact of their work. And so I want our workplaces to go back to like, yeah, make me feel good about my work. Remind me what is the work that I'm doing and how it impacts the next generation. Um, and that can come in a lot of different design and, and forms, but like get me to, to the point. And the point is that the work that we're doing is important and vital and is nourishing to that larger habitat that is the world. Yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a great way of putting it. And I put down, you know, the, that a lot of the most celebrated workplaces are that were there to impress in them in their kind of almost like corporate magnificence. So I remember being in the lobby of the Envisioning Lab at, in Redmond at Microsoft's headquarters, and you know it is kind of there isn't a level of emotion. There's a level of excitement, but it's actually to do with this sense of the the kind of power of the organization, the influence of the organization. Um, but actually, I wonder whether what what we're talking about now is that actually people are looking for something. You've said it um, more localized, more streets, um, that when you go somewhere, you, you, you want to find the, the, the small cafe that's more authentic, less exclusive. And, and actually, that leaves quite a big problem, I think, potentially, for um, organizations, particularly larger organizations who are used to creating their impressive physical culture through kind of size and impact. And I wonder what that wonder what that means. But I just want to kind of take us back because one of the things I, I did at the beginning was get very excited about Barcelona and start off on that story without asking you just to help us understand your own journey. So how did Nelly become who you are now? What's your what's your origin story and how did you get to where you are now? Did you start off 
as a as a young girl wanting to be a workplace strategist? I think probably not. <laughs> no, I think I haven't met one person who wanted to be a workplace strategist. It was not part of the jobs were being sold at in high school. No one knew what was a workplace strategist really um, 10 or 20 years ago. Um, I guess my origin story really started with um, this awareness of different origins. Um, I was born in France, but being the first generation French in my family, my parents were born in North Africa and their parents were born in the Middle East and Italy. So I've been aware at a very young age that we are on a journey and one generation after the other, we're traveling to the next land and we belong to everywhere. We, we continue bringing the richness of the previous place to the, the newest place. So that's one, one aspect of, of my origin. I think the second one was being born in the 80s and becoming a millennial and wanting to travel after graduating and not wanting to work and hearing from many people that work is not fun. So you work hard, but really you sell your soul and then you play hard because that's the part where you, you come back to life. And it felt very disillusioned. I was like, wow, like, okay, we, we're not kids anymore. We have this diplomas in hands and now it's going to be suffering until five o'clock or six o'clock, then we'll be back to life. If I felt very doomed. I was not looking forward to working. I was not looking forward to having a job. And somehow the the hope was to become independent. And that's when we worked really like become attractive, like, oh, all these young people could be independent. So you could like free yourself from this like machine that makes you work and sell your soul from nine to five. And then you get back your soul after 5 p.m. And I thought there was no other option. And about six or seven years ago, I moved to Silicon Valley with my engineering diploma and a few work experiences behind me. And I found a completely different world. And like a world where people my age and younger were building startups, were changing the world, or at least had the ambition to change the world. They were, they were disrupting the, whole, the old ways and they were very optimistic about the future because they were building it. And it was my first time really like thinking about the impact of the work that I'm doing and the good, yeah, and like helping me be at peace with the work that I was doing. And so I think naively I thought, oh, maybe people love what they do or they love working because they have amazing offices. And so this is how I become a workplace strategist. And I didn't stay naive very long. I realized it was not because of the amazing offices, but actually they also had amazing offices because of that culture of loving the work that you were doing, like uh, thinking really highly of the work that you were carrying and wanted to be in, a, in an, an environment that, that doesn't make you feel uh, in pain. Like actually you were feeling very uplifted for the work that you were doing because it was good work for the society. And so that's really led me to what I'm, to, to what I'm doing today. Like after this big question of like, what is work like we seeing four millions of americans quitting their job months after months for the past year it's a crazy number you like and so you like are people waking up are people being 
disliking their job for so long and suddenly they cannot take it anymore? Or are people seeing an opportunity to maybe really own their work or own their life? Like, like it's really interesting, this like numbers or like disengagement and, and people quitting their job. And for me, as I've been really thinking about the workplace as a place where work, the work that matters happen, I guess I'm taking the lead on like wanting to build a future where we bring back some peacefulness to the work that we're doing, we bring back the high value that it's carrying, and we're allowing people to find new spaces where they can reconnect with their with their own meaning and purpose. Yes, absolutely. And I think you you mentioned how you felt when you moved to Silicon Valley and the, the kind of hope that you felt when you saw these magnificent offices and how that then changed when you realized that actually the, the joy of the work came from the culture, which then manifested as a kind of man, magnificent office. Um, and, you know, the whole idea of Silicon Valley, we've seen replicated here in London. We've got Silicon Roundabout, which feels like a very British way of going about it. Um, we've seen, for example, there's the Silicon Savannah, I think it's called as well. But out of interest, do you still feel that same hope when you look at Silicon Valley? Because I know there have been some, maybe not horror stories, but some of the shine has started to come off as different stories have emerged about what's happened in Silicon Valley, the impact on local populations, for example. Do you still feel hope when you think about Silicon Valley and the future? It's a it's a very, very complex question because I think I was not blind to already what was happening in Silicon Valley, maybe because I had lived in many places before and I had this awareness of the impact of the culture of the place onto the place. Um, and so when I moved there, yeah, the workplace was like majestic and magnificent, but the city was not getting any riches out of it. Um, and I could see it as a problem. And I guess this is why I was very attracted by the Stripe philosophy where it was not a campus where you would come as an employee and have everything handed to you. Like Stripe and Twitter is the same, is the same, has the same philosophy because they created this entire market down below their offices for the city, not only for the employees, but like I think coming from New York where you have all those workers getting out for lunch and then going after after work after work for drinks and dinner stuff where they could redistribute redistribute their wealth. Unfortunately, in Silicon Valley, it was more like bubbles. So employees would enter a campus and then that's it. They would never really dis- redistribute their wealth. And many people didn't even know the city because they didn't have to go out for a restaurant. They didn't have to go out to a fitness center. They didn't have to go out for a massage or hairdresser even. I could feel it was, we were getting to, at some point, the bubble will burst. Um, and I guess pandemic just, just stop it before it bursted which is a chance for a chance a chance for silicon valley to build before or build without an earthquake really the earthquake happened in the digital world and not so much in the physical so silicon valley has a chance to improve on on the thing that was not working before where i feel very optimistic also is that now silicon valley is way beyond the land that inhabits. Like at the very beginning of COVID, I, I left Silicon Valley and when people were asking me, oh, where are you based? My truest answer was, I'm in 
Silicon Valley Wizard Walls, because actually I was in Palm Springs or I was in LA or I was in Paris, but I was carrying the mentality of Silicon Valley. And so this is what people are saying today. People are saying like, Silicon Valley is a state of mind. It's not a land anymore. So suddenly, like Silicon Valley was just getting overwhelmed with the number of people that wanted to flock or or that those companies were just like getting and, and relocating to Silicon Valley. Now Silicon, the, the good philosophy of Silicon Valley can be more distributed everywhere and hopefully the city can find a way to like transform into something that is more sustainable and more accessible to everyone because yeah the prices were getting crazy um some of the restaurants couldn't be open as much as they wanted because they couldn't find dishwasher um, people doing like dishwashing some weather some like even chefs and cooks because it was just too expensive to live in the city which you know are signs of like we're getting to exhaustion or fatigue. Yes. Yeah, and what's 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 interesting is that um, you know what we're seeing now is that uh, kind of glimpse of the future in San Francisco um, actually replicated elsewhere. I mean, here in the UK, uh, and I think it's the same sort of things happening in the US. Is that there's the we've got the largest number of job vacancies that they've ever recorded. And and the and there's a real shift of power, if you like, shifting from employers to employees, and and I wonder whether looking at this from an ecosystem, nature of work, living system point of view, that if you create your own system in isolation, where people don't need to interact with the local community, the local economy, uh, and you just live in a closed habitat, whether actually that's not a viable way of operating. And I think there's going to be a need for employers of all sorts and all sizes and all sectors to really create a far healthier environment in every sense of the word for for the people that they have now. When we look at the number of people who've said in surveys that they're already thinking about moving, quitting their jobs moving to something else, moving somewhere else. This is a huge, huge shift in where work's happening. And I kind of wonder whether the ethics of the organisation needs to be part of the ecosystem that they're in and that you can't be in in some kind of isolation from the community that you're part of. Yeah, I love the word isolation because that's, again, I think there's a, it's complex because people would like argue that this isolation is critical because of the privacy and the data and the security. And I think us would look at it and be like, oh, it's depriving of other nourishment. Um, somehow it's probably both and it's neither. Uh, there's not there's not really privacy when you have tens of thousands of employees. Like They have friends, they have family, they talk, they move jobs, they went from one company to another. So like this like idea that like you can you can be so safer on your data and what you're doing it's not so true like human beings are human beings and they're changing jobs and they're carrying this data even if they they give back the laptop for when it was in silicon valley what was funny is that we thought of us as a closed circuit like when you would enter a campus it was a closed circuit and yet we kept continually talking about the other habitats like oh 
um, repoaching the entire finance team of that other company and at that other company, that's their culture, that's their office design, that's their workplace offering. So we need to somehow match it so we can attract them. So we were also very influenced by the other habitats and, and closed circuits. And I think this is why uh, one thing that I was very passionate about in Silicon Valley was somehow we knew that also people were going to be with us. I don't know if that's good. I don't, I don't know if we should, we should carry it in the future, but somehow it was the new model. Like you don't stay at one company for more than like five years. Like somehow after five years, the, the, the clock is ticking and you need to, to go and be in another um, company. And so one thing was like, okay, at least at a minimum, what we should do is that we should make sure that if people stay only five years with us, they live better human beings that, than who they were before entering our system. And I was very in love with this idea, this concept, because as we believe that different habitats cohabit, but they're also a constellation and this bridge between them. If each human beings enter one and be, and leave a better human beings and enter a new one, yeah, I have this like grandiose idea that that we the society is getting to the next level of I don't know growth or maturity mm. or. <laughs> Yeah, I love that idea. I remember I used to work in a law firm um, and I, I, I have a lot of lawyers in the family. I've worked with lawyers. It's a, a whole experience. Um, as anyone who is listening who has worked with lawyers will know. Um, but they, uh, I remember the COO at the time talking exactly about that idea that yes, we can be fearful that we put all this training and time into our people and what if they leave? But actually, they made it a whole part of their culture of we want you to leave a better person. We know you're going to leave at some point. You're not going to be here forever. So we want you to be the best person you can be when you leave and move on. And it's such a healthy way of looking at it. Um, and it reminds me a little bit of what you shared about your experience of being um, an immigrant as well and moving between different countries and taking the cultures that you were experiencing and of your own heritage and the joy of being able to bring that to new places as well. Um, and I think, you know, we talk about biodiversity in the book. It's, it's how biodiversity thrives. It's all those different experiences that you bring, those different, that different knowledge and combining it with other people's experiences and their knowledge as well. It's such a healthy way of looking at the world of work. And instead of being afraid of losing people, just being about helping people being their best person. I'm going to change tact a little bit. So thinking about workplace and all the things that we've shared around what the future of that might look like and, and how it's evolving. Have you seen any great examples of organizations or people who are reimagining the workplace in a way that feels healthy and nourishing to use the word that you're using? Something. So yeah, there's quite a few things that I've noticed. One that I've brought that I've, I wrote about um, about a, a week or two weeks ago was, and it's really emerging, uh, but you're seeing some companies moving away from the word offices. Somehow, like, it looks like even the vernacular needs to change so people get into a different state of mind. Um, as, as companies are redesigning their offices, they, they're, like, choosing a different word. And so in the article that I wrote, I was um, showing that Dropbox, for instance, they say that they won't call them 
offices anymore. They would call them studios. And what we think about when we think about a studio is a place for creators. And that's really much what they want to uh, infuse. And that's going back to the church. Like that's the new spirit that they want to bring when people enter their space. And so they say they won't be offering single own desk, but actually it would be a place for collaboration. It's a place for community. It's a place for like working together on an idea. And so there will be this like almost workshop-like rooms where it's not a meeting room it's a place where yeah you workshop together and there's different like materials and there are different equipments and devices for you to like really put your hands at work and like create together and there's other examples some companies are just deciding to like remove the word work and call them places which leaves more of an open invitation to think about whatever you need to think about when you go into the spaces. There's Vista Print who decided to call them collaboration centers because also they've realized from serving their employees that people don't need to go to the office to do individual laptop work. Uh, but when they go to the office, they actually don't want to bring their laptop and they want to like talk with people. They want to connect with other human beings. They want to play. They, they have a very strong, like playful culture where people play board games so they want people to play together eat together drink together and so that's really much like what they want to infuse with this new word which is collaboration center so that's definitely one emerging trend that i'm seeing is that people are more purposeful about the word and is choosing words that are that will be linked to the design of their new their new spaces i love it i think it goes back to this idea that we had before which is like you want people to feel a certain thing when they enter and somehow even rebranding them can like help in this, in this ambition. Other trend that we're seeing is very much that, yeah, all surveys are showing that people want to gather with other people, want to be in community with other people. And that's a strong pull to leave the home, but just leaving the home to sit at a desk by yourself is not a strong, is not a, a strong pull and, um, to make you leave your home. So you do it at home. And what, and the other thing that we sing, and I love it also, is we're moving away from this autocratic model of having leaders picking the places where they'll have offices. And now, again, as the power is shifting to employees, also location is being dictated by employees. We're going to allow people to work from wherever they want. And as we're being in communication with them, we're gonna probably identify pools, like people gathering in certain location around the world. And that's where we'll offer a place, a home base, like a work home base for them to meet and gather. Um, and I love it also because we were, I was very, I was very surprised with like some cities being like strong centers of work out of really nowhere, out of like tax reasons, sometimes out of like airport reason, maybe there was a large airport there. It didn't make so much sense for the employees to be there. They'd rather be somewhere else. So I think we're going to see a shift of what are the economic centers when it's human beings dictating Definitely. And I think that idea of because um, leaders hold power and often with like we're seeing this in the discussion around hybrid working where the leader physically sits and physically is, is often where power accumulates. 
And so if you have the idea of an office space that is headquarters and that's where the leaders and the managers are still going, even though they're saying people can work from wherever they want, that's often where power still sits. So as soon as you start to allow people to decide where things are going to be and you shift leaders and uh, managers out of those centers of gravity, you start to see power be distributed in a very different way. And I'd be interested in knowing, so we've spoken about workplace and the idea of the what was the office, but there, as we saw during the pandemic, there are so many people part of the economy and the labor workforce who work in retail, who work in hospitals, hospitality, who work in hospitals and healthcare, who don't, their places of work aren't those traditional spaces. So how can this emergent way of thinking about space for work be applied so that they benefit as well, do you think? I love, I, I think I love this question because um, for me, that opens a conversation to what is at the heart of the debate. Like, yeah, we can think like, do we need offices? Do we need to design offices? Should we like just leave all those buildings empty and only work from home? That for me, the surface at the heart is like, how do people own their work? How do they own their calendar? How do they own their own engagement with the larger mission? How do they feel empowered to, to be responsible for the success of that mission or the fast pace of the delivery of that mission? That for me is actually what has been put into question. And this is why we see so many people quitting their job because that's their heart. Like some people say, I don't really care if I have enough. People are not quitting because their companies have an office or not an office. They're quitting because they're not feeling engaged with the mission. They're not feeling that they own their work or the product of their work. That for me is being transformed and felt by everyone. Like knowledge workers, but also retail workers, actually out of this four millions months after months, there's a lot of people from the hospitality and retail industry because they're also feeling that maybe they don't think that their work is impactful or maybe their role is not being given the level of empowerment that will allow them to create, to come up with new ideas. Maybe the ideas are not being heard. So that's actually for me what is really changing is like the the relationship with work that people have. And so I think that's across any industry, across any places, people are realizing that they don't want to waste their life. They actually, we, yes, we need to, I don't know if we need to work. I, thought, I don't know if need is, is the word, but like work is having an impact. And we are working because we want to be part of the society and bring value to the society is a way for us to feel that we belong. And so we want a work that is meaningful and purposeful and also probably a work that is related to our unique story. Because I think this is what we're seeing. The most successful people are the ones who embrace their unique story and unique heritage and find the, the fix that needs to be fixed in the world. And they know that only them can do it because they have the keys They've accumulated the keys throughout their history. And so they are the ones who are going to fix the problem. I think this is what is happening. And even in the retail and, and hospitality, I hope people are going to be more empowered to take initiatives, to be owning their work, owning their calendar, owning the way they, that they deliver their work to bring more positive impact throughout the society. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that one of the things that was running through my mind in the in the last couple of weeks is that the hospitality industry huge huge industries everywhere and not given the respect the importance i mean 
hospitality is kind of reviving economies. People are going out. They're they're in cafes. They're they're eating out. They're, they're that's people are kind of socialising like that. And actually, this shortage of of um, people to work in that industry, actually, I think is an opportunity for that industry to grow up and and really mature. You know, how could you create a restaurant or a hotel uh, or a cafe that was so wonderful for people? not just to come there as customers, but to actually work in. What about providing stability, pensions, learning, development, training, flexibility, adaptability? You know, if it, you know, that's the opportunity for that sector. Instead of treating people like they're kind of fodder and, and you know, you know and not really wanting to uh, properly respect them. And I, 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 one of the things that occurs to me, and we're going to have to wrap up in a minute, unfortunately, but um, I don't think I've mentioned our dog walker before, Karen. Um, but, but, but I'm mentioning a dog walker, Karen, because she seems to have this kind of weird insight into what's going down, this like kind of whatever's the zeitgeist. So she said at the beginning of the pandemic, she said, you know, maybe what's happening in the future is that people will go and visit these places where there used to be offices, like a kind of historical tour. So you'd go around Wall Street, you'd go around um, uh, Canary Wharf in London, you'd go around all these central business districts. And just like in my own home city of Manchester, you'd go back and see where the Industrial Revolution started and the factories and the warehouses and so on. We'd visit this. And I think what you've put your finger on, and I love it, Nell, is this idea of Dropbox talking about studios, workshops, uh, pools, uh, places rather than workplaces. I think new language. My, my, my hunch is that the era of the office is over. And actually, that's uh, a, an industrial age, management age, um, kind of classification that worked for a while it worked and then sort of run out of run out of value and meaning, which I think is, a, is, is an opportunity for the future. So I'm going to end with a question for you, um, which I think we're going to start asking all of our guests, maybe. Um, it, and that is you talked about home. So. Where do you feel most at home? Could be in nature, but it could just be where do you feel most at home? And why? Mm -hmm. I love this question. Um, I think I'm the, the idealist me is hoping to feel home everywhere. In this planet, I, I hope to feel home everywhere and I feel that I belong here and that my journey throughout my life will leave some positive trace. Um, but realistically, I feel home where I can communicate with people. And I guess that's why I'm an avid uh, language learner. And I have five in my pocket and I hope to have many more, but those places where... I can speak with people and I can be in community with them. It's where I feel home. And so I'm thinking about, yeah, France. I'm thinking about Brazil. I'm thinking about Israel. I'm thinking about Liverpool. I'm thinking about the U.S. I'm thinking about Spain and Mexico. So, yeah, I think I feel home when I'm 
I'm in community with other people and language is our first vehicle to communicate. So, yeah. Mm. So what are the five Beautiful. languages that you can speak? Um, French, English, Spanish, Brazilian, Portuguese, and Hebrew. Uh-huh, very nice. So I'm a little bit fluent in Hebrew. So I have a bit of an Israeli background, so I can practice with you at some point. So we can feel in presence of each other. Yes, exactly. And I love what you shared about actually feeling at home isn't necessarily a specific place. It's a feeling. Because um, I think even though we have relationships with physical places and, and where I feel at home, for example, I obviously feel at home in my home, but there's a whole load of other places as well where I feel that I belong. But ultimately, I think it's, it is that feeling of feeling in community with people that I feel safe with, and that's where I feel at home. Um, but what about you, Paul? Um, huh, where do I feel at home? I, I think I feel most at home at home um probably but you know yeah probably in our garden is where i feel most at home but what i actually wrote down was that i don't know why it's, it's like home is a state of mind and then i put down the lone star state of mind which is a song by nancy griffiths who recently died country singer and i think i've got it right her song was the lone star state of mind and it makes me feel this idea that you know, maybe Silicon Valley is a state of mind, that the new Silicon Valley is a is a state of mind and home is a state of mind. But um, it's just been a wonderful conversation and it's been such a delight, Nelly. Any any final reflections or, or comments you want to make? I uh, I feel so lucky that I'm I'm sharing some time with you too and I and I and I feel so grateful for the book that you've delivered and that is now available to everyone. I know that when I read it, I uh, I was in shock of finding my peers and also like reading bring groundbreaking ideas. And so hopefully you are going to leave a very positive trace. Great. That's, that's a wonderful thing to answer, uh, uh, end on. Uh, anything uh, you wanted to say, Shim? Just thank you, Nelly. It's lovely speaking with you and just hearing your view of the world um, and being able to have the opportunity to delve into it more. And I'm looking forward to hearing more about Barcelona as well when your journey is finished. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Yeah, this episode is sponsored by the Barcelona Tourist Board, shouldn't we? <laughs> and, and we, But they don't, really, they don't really need to sponsor anything, do they? Because everybody just loves Barcelona. Yeah, um, Anyway, thank you so much, Nelly. Uh, it's been wonderful talking to you. Thank you very much. For more information about the Nature of Work book, visit natureofwork.com. The Nature of Work podcast is produced by the Digital Workplace Group, a strategic partner and boutique consultancy supporting more than 100 leading organizations to advance their digital workplaces. For more information, visit digitalworkplacegroup.com. This is Paul Miller wishing you well until next time.